0: crazy stunts, crazy things. This guy's name was Matthew Webb. He's this British guy who was a daredevil, and he lived a long time ago. He lived in the 1800s, actually, and uh, he became really famous because he's the first person to swim across the English Channel, okay? The English Channel, not, that seems like a river. It's like a big river. He swam over 20 miles, and so this guy was a legit daredevil. What he would do is he would put bets on himself, so basically, he would bet a bunch of people, get all this money together from these people to say, hey, I, like, do you bet I'm going to live or die? And he'd get all this money from people who bet on him dying, okay? It's weird. So he would get all this money, and he set up this thing where when he was crossing the English Channel, he said, I bet you guys 400 pounds that I won't die, and, no, he didn't die. He got it. He got the money, and that was crazy. So he did that, and he became super famous because he, he he swam for 74 hours. Think about that. In the freezing cold, like nights and days. That's like, what, three days? 72 hours. That's a long time. So he did that, and then he thought he was really cool, and he came to America because that's what cool people do. Um, they leave England, and they come to America, and um, he showed up to Niagara Falls. Has anybody been to Niagara Falls? You know how this story's ending, don't you? Um, This guy, yeah, Niagara Falls, it's in like New York. It's crazy. It's this huge waterfall. And here's what he bet. He said, I bet the public $10,000 that I can swim from one side of the bottom, not at the top but from the bottom to the other side. It's called the Niagara Whirlpools. So he got, he raised $10,000 that he bet on his own life. Think about this. This guy's crazy, okay? It worked out when he was crossing the English Channel, which is longer. I mean, 20 miles across an ocean. That seems pretty intense. 74 hours. He thought he could cross this little amount of space, the Niagara Whirlpools. Well, I think you know where this is going. Um, on July 24th, I have it exactly, 1883, this dude... <laughs> $10,000 bet on him, that he would get $10,000 if he, if he made it. He died. <laughs> there you go, that, that's kinda what happened, yeah. He, uh, he bet like his entire life, his estate, all of his money, his parents' money, his family's money, he put it all on him making it across, and um, the people who bet on him uh, not living, they made money. So that was kind of weird. Um, but he bet it all on him crossing the Niagara Whirlpools and he didn't do it. His, uh, his finances and even his own life was put there because when he crossed and he got in the water that day and tried to swim across, he didn't just lose $10,000. Um, he lost like everything. He lost $10,000 and his life. And that's because his uh, hope was set on himself and he thought he was pretty uh, Pretty good. You got a little overconfident. You guys know what it is to be overconfident. Maybe you've seen somebody um, say that they're pretty good at something, and then it turns out they're not as good as they thought they were. Well, that happens a lot, and it's going to happen today in this passage, where we're going to find a guy who's overconfident. His hope and his all of his uh, his trust and his hope is set really on himself being a great person. That, that guy's Peter. We're going to see that after Judas was just called out as a traitor. Peter, one of the strongest, he thinks that he can do anything for Jesus. And he even tells Jesus, I could even die for you. All of that is a setup for Jesus to say one thing, that your trust needs not only to be in yourself, your trust needs to be in me. And we find one of the most important sayings of Jesus here, where Jesus says, I am the only person that you can set your trust on. So I want you to grab your Bibles. Everybody grab a Bible, turn it on, open to John chapter 13, verse 36. John thirteen, thirty-six. The reason he was so overconfident, I think, is because he just saw someone else fall. He saw Judas run away. He asked Jesus, last time we looked at this together, he asked Jesus, hey, uh, who is going to betray you? You keep saying someone's going to like betray you and sell you over to the Romans. Who is it going to be? And Jesus, through John, showed it was going to be that guy Judas. And Jesus had this quick conversation with Judas and he said, go what you're going to do, do it fast, get out of here and leave. And Judas does. And at this point it's only the disciples left. So Simon Peter it says in verse 36 changes the subject. If you remember what did we talk about at the end of last week? This new commandment that the disciples were supposed to love one another as Jesus did. Peter changes the subject a little bit. He says, "Hey, Jesus, you he said something interesting a little while ago. You said that you were going to leave. Wh- why where are you going? What are you going to do? You're going to leave? Why are you going to leave?" Check it out, verse 36. Simon Peter said to Jesus, "Lord, where are you going?" Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. I don't know what Peter was thinking at this point, but what he's about to say shows that I think he starts to understand that Jesus is saying, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to die. Maybe he didn't know that Jesus was going to be crucified necessarily, although Jesus did promise that earlier. Maybe that's not what's in the forefront of his mind, but we start to see that he understands. Look at verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Why can't I I be with you? He says, I will lay down my life for you. You see that? That's a lot like that guy uh, betting $10,000 that he can cross the Niagara Whirlpools. He says, I can do anything for you. I'm willing to right now lay down my life to follow you. That's what Peter says. Judas, maybe not. But me, I could do it. Now Jesus answered in verse thirty-eight, says, "Will you lay down your life for me?" That's a, that's a nice thing to say. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. It says the next time the alarm clock, the natural alarm clock in the morning goes off tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three different times. Judas, how many times did he deny Jesus? Well, in one big way, once. Jesus looks at Peter. He says, I know that you think that you can serve me tonight, but you're actually going to deny me three separate times. There's going to come testing for you, and you're going to fail not once, not twice, but three times. That's what he tells Peter. That must have shocked everybody. Think about it. The strongest, the leader. Imagine you're in a group of friends, and it's like, well, that person's really good at something. They would never do anything wrong like that. Imagine you're in a small group. And it's like, yeah, one of you is going to do something really bad. And Jesus looks at the strongest Christian and says, You're going to deny me three different times tonight. That would probably make everybody a little bit scared. And that's what happens. Look at verse one of the, the, the next chapter. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. All right, what do you mean, Jesus? You just said that Peter, the strongest guy, he's going to deny you three different times tonight. How can we not be troubled? How can we not be anxious? He says, Don't be anxious. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. It says, if that was not the case, if I wasn't going to prepare a place for you, if the father didn't have tons of rooms in his house, so to speak, I would have told you that. But I'm going there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's kind of a confusing sentence And it seems like it's out of nowhere, but I want you to see why that's there. Jesus has just told the strongest Christian in the group, you will not follow me. You're overconfident. You're overconfident in yourself, not in me. And you will not even follow me tonight when it gets hard. You're going to deny that you even know me tonight. Then Jesus has to turn to the rest of them and say, hey, don't worry. Don't, Don't freak out. Don't be anxious. I am preparing a place for all of you to go, even you, Peter. I'm preparing a place for you to live forever, heaven with God. Look at verse three. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I may be, where, that where I am, you may be also. Verse four says, and you know the way to where I'm going. So where is Jesus going? Let's just start to answer these questions in our mind. Jesus is saying, I'm going back to the father. He makes that pretty clear. He says, I'm going back. In verse 4, he says, you know the way where I'm going. Now think about that. What is the way that Jesus is going to take to go back to the Father? Think about it. Put yourself back in the disciples' shoes. What way is Jesus going to take to go back to the Father? He's about to be betrayed by Judas. Jesus already said that. He's about to be crucified. He's about to die. That's the way that Jesus is going to take to be back with the Father. A horrible way Jesus is going to take. And he says, you guys know that. Now, look at the next verse. Look at verse five. Thomas, one of the disciples, not Peter, but Thomas looks around and he talks to Jesus and he says this to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So at least Thomas and probably the other disciples too, they were like, where are you going? Because we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way to the father? Like you said, and how can we know this way? We don't even know the destination. How do we know how to get there? Verse six, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible right here, Jesus answers Thomas. And he says, you're looking for a way. He says, I am the way, at least for you. I'm going back to the Father and I'm gonna take the the steps of the cross. But when it comes to you getting to the Father, I'm the way to get you to the Father. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It says no one can know God, no one can worship God, no one can go to heaven unless Jesus takes them there. That's it. You can't get there yourself. You can't follow anybody else there. Jesus says, I have to get you there. That's it. Nobody gets to God except through me. Verse seven, if you had known me, you would have already figured this out. It says, if you would have known me, you would have known the father also. And from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Think about it. You've seen God. And now that made a weird question in this guy named Philip's mind. Look at verse eight. Philip says, you've seen him. Well, we we haven't seen the father. We haven't seen God. What are you talking about? Philip said to him, Lord, Jesus, show us the father. And that's enough. If you just like did what happened in the Old Testament, when Moses got to see God just a tiny bit, and he got to see his glory, like that's what we want. Like you just said that we've seen the father. Let's, can you show God to us? Because for me, God's invisible right? Have you ever seen God, right? You've never seen God, and that's what Philip says. God's invisible, right? And the Bible says that very clearly, that God's invisible, but sometimes he makes himself known to people. So Philip asked Jesus, can you show us the Father? Now, you might think, Jesus said, that's a great question. Yes, I can show you the Father. That's not what he says. Yes, he's going to show him the Father, but look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? says, if you would have even known who I was, you wouldn't even be asking that question. That's the wrong question for Philip to ask because he misunderstood. It wasn't a bad question, like an evil, sinful question. It was just a question of someone who didn't understand. Look what he says next. "Does says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So the words that Jesus spoke and the works that Jesus did. Jesus is preaching and also his amazing miracles. He says, those were all God through me. Verse 11. It says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. That section is all we're going to cover tonight. And we're going to slowly make our way through this conversation. And I know that's a lot for us to cover, but I want you to see what what is found in every little section of tonight's passage. We see that Jesus is the only way. Okay. When it comes to Peter and Peter's failure, we see Peter thought that he could stand up to this test on his own. He had confidence not in Jesus, but in himself. His faith, his hope, His trust was in himself, not in Jesus. And then Jesus says, hey, all you disciples, whoever's a follower of me, if your faith is in me, you can take comfort in that. Because I'm the only way to God. If it's in you, it's not going to work. If it's in me, Jesus says. That's how you can know God. First point that I want you to write down for these first three verses that we see of Peter, I want you to write this down. Prove your faith in Jesus by your loyalty to Jesus. Point number one, pro- prove your faith in Jesus by your loyalty to Jesus. I want you to see how important that is, that Peter is loyal in his head, right? He thinks that he'll be able to serve Jesus. He thinks that he can do it. The problem is, notice his loyalty in his head, it might have been with Jesus. But really, he was unable to obey Jesus. He's unable to stay loyal to Jesus. And I want you to think, why is that? Why was Peter, when he was tempted, unable to say no to that temptation? Why did he fall? If he was so excited, why did he sin? I think this passage shows it to us, and I think other passages do too. The idea is that Peter's trust for that night and in that situation was, nobody can shake me off of Jesus. There's nobody that can take me away from 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 my relationship with Jesus. But all it took was a little servant girl asking, hey, are you a Christian? Hey, is this Jesus, the one who's being made fun of? Are you with him? And Peter, this big, strong fisherman, tough-handed, big, muscly guy, turned to this little servant girl and said, I I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never seen this guy before. That's what Peter does. What takes a guy who's super bold and turns him into a little girl? When it comes to his boldness, how does that happen? Well, I think it happens when your trust is squarely on your own abilities. And I think Peter's was very clearly. And that's why Jesus corrective in all of this is believe in me, trust in me. It's what he says to the disciples after he says, hey, Peter's going to deny me three times. Your trust needs to be in me. I think for some of us, we might have good intentions when it comes to obeying God. I think if I asked, you know, all of you, hey, do you want to obey God or not? I think 90% of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to. I I want to do what Jesus says. I want to follow him in some way. Maybe not with my whole life, but but with some of it. I think most of us would say yes to this. But I wonder how many of us would be like Peter. I wonder how many of us are like Peter right now. We might have good intentions. We would say we want to serve God, but our loyalty is not really with him. Because you notice... Just as the first point says, if your faith is not squarely in Jesus, when you're tested, your loyalty will not be in Jesus. That's why in small groups or at church, a lot of us say, yeah, I I follow Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I want to do what God says. But when we go to school or we go to sports or whatever, we interact with the world, we use our social medias, whatever. It's like when the test finally comes, am I going to act like Jesus or not? so many of us don't. Our loyalty is not really with Jesus. The people whose loyalty is really with Jesus are the people who really trust in Jesus. So that's why a lot of times what we say is, hey, if you want to know if you're a Christian, hey, one thing you should do, test your faith. Do, am I really trusting in Christ? And how do we see our faith or our trust in Christ played out? Well, it's in the decisions we make. It's in the way we live. That's why later on, if you're in uh, John chapter 13 and 14, look at verse 15, okay? John 14, 15, look what it says. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, okay? Pretty clear there. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Don't say that you love me, Jesus says to you and to me and to all the disciples. Don't say that you love me if you're not going to obey me. Don't say that. And then check out the next chapter, John 15, 14, right? These are really easy. 14, 15 and 15, 14. They say the same thing. John 15, 14 now, says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You're my friends, right? If you love me, obey my commandments. Also, the people who are really my friends, that are really loyal to me, they're the ones that obey me. And I want you to think about that. If we just took your life over the last week, or the last month, or the last year, whatever, and say, have have I really been loyal in my actions to the God that I say that I serve? I wonder how we would do it that test. Because every day we're tested. Every week we're tested whether or not we're going to be loyal to Jesus or not. And the main overarching idea of this whole sermon and everything Jesus says here is put your faith squarely on me. If you're a Christian, set your hope on me. Think about me. Believe in me. Trust in me. If you're not a Christian, do that for the first time. That's what this, that's what Jesus is saying here. Trust me. If you guys are in John 14, look at John 18. John 18. Just slip on over a couple of chapters, John 18. We're going to see how Peter did. Jesus promises that he's going to deny him. Jesus promises that Peter's going to deny him. Here's what happens. John 18, look at verse 25. John 18, 25. It says, now Simon Peter was standing outside and he was warming himself. There was some fire going. It was cold. They had no big space heaters like we do. Fire was down below. He puts his hands over the fire. So they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. He said, I am not. Think about that. He just spent this whole night, this whole dinner time talking to Jesus. His whole three years following Jesus everywhere he went. Hearing every good news sermon that Jesus ever preached. Seeing all the amazing miracles. And when someone asked him, are you a follower of Jesus, what does he do? He says, no, I'm not. I think there's a lot of parallels to people in this room, to people who at least come to the narrow or go to church in general, that people, maybe you've known all the stories, you've seen all the miracles of Jesus in the Bible. You know what God did in the Old Testament. You, you've seen, you've opened your Bible and you've seen how God had t- took the Israelites out of slavery with his mighty arm and an outstretched arm and a, and a mighty hand. You saw all that. And then when someone at school asks you, Do you are you a Christian? It's like, no. No, I'm, no, I don't. I'm not like I'm not like those people. I, I, no, I'll, I'll I'll do whatever you want or whatever you know. And maybe you've seen you've seen that play out in your life or maybe in someone else's life. That's what Peter did. I just want us to think through that. And maybe it's not so blunt as people coming up to you and saying, "Are you a Christian?" Right? Because most of you may, might say, "Yeah, I am." Right? Maybe some of you wouldn't. But now think maybe on a, a different level when it comes to how how you're tempted. When it's like, "Am I going to do what Jesus says or not?" It says Peter. After someone said, are you his disciple? I said, I'm not. Then it says one of, this is verse 26 of John 18. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, which is a little awkward. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, when when the whole garden scene happens, Peter takes out his sword and, and cuts off his ear. I saw a meme about that the other day. Uh, we're all, none of the gospel writers write about that. And it's like they're all trying to keep a, a secret. And, and John's like, it was Peter um, who cut off somebody's ear. Um, so it was a relative of this guy, sorry, I, that, you can't explain a meme, okay? It doesn't work. It's like, you know that, that picture? No, you don't know. Um, I'll find it, you know. May, maybe Bates can look it up in the back and maybe he'll show it to you later. I don't know. Um, but it says it was a relative of this person. So think about it. Peter just cut this dude's ear off, right, like an hour or two ago. Um, and Jesus healed him, by the way. That's how that, that goes. Um, awkward for Peter, right? A couple hours later, his cousin or whatever <laughs> is a servant of the high priest and says, did I not see you in the garden? Aren't you the dude who cut my cousin's ear off? That's what the question is here. Um, so Peter's kind of stuck at this point, right? It's like, well, yeah, I, I guess. And what does Peter do? Verse 27, Peter denied it again and said at once, right when he denied him that time, it says the rooster crowed, just as Jesus said. He like promised, he knew that he was going to deny him. And in an instant, boom, he denies Jesus again. If you're in John 18, turn to the right a couple more pages. John 21, look at verse 17. After Jesus dies, it says that Peter was really humiliated because once he understood what he did, in the moment I don't think he understood what he was doing in the sense that he forgot Jesus promised that. But in the book of Luke it says that the last time that he denied Jesus, it that Jesus turned his face and looked across the courtyard and made eye contact with Peter and said, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He was so sad. He started weeping and crying because he knew that he denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said. Well, after Peter sinned, he was a little bit ashamed, a lot, bit ashamed really. And Jesus meets him as the resurrected Lord. He just died and now he's, he's been risen from the grave, okay? Now, John 21, verse 17, the end of the book says this. Jesus is talking to Peter and he said to a third, a third time to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You said you did before I died and then you denied me three times, but do you love me? And three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? It says Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Even though I was disloyal to you in that moment, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Basically, get up. Get back to work. Do what you need to be doing. The scary thing is if when we talk about prove your loyalty to Jesus, prove your faith in Jesus by your loyalty, sometimes we are not loyal. Even some of you who are Christians, we're not loyal every time. And that's why we can look at Peter's example and his overconfidence and say, we can't be overconfident. We see him fail, and we're also going to see him succeed because he gets back up and he serves Jesus. But in that night, the big lesson we can learn from him is his faith was not in Jesus, it was in himself, which is why if you turn back to John 14, Jesus redirects that faith. He says, disciples, look, trust in me, trust in me, no matter what happens, trust in me. He says, let, let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Then he goes on and ex- describes all that stuff we talked about where it says he's preparing a place for his people. Think about that. That's why Jesus leaves. I mean, if you were a disciple and Jesus died, you'd be pretty scared, right? Because you think I'm next. Jesus says, the reason I died and did all that stuff is because I'm going to prepare, to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to bring you there. And that's the same thing that's happening now. Jesus left. Right? And that's why it's hard for us to get into the mindset of the disciples because you never lived with Jesus, right? You never walked with Jesus. We weren't around back then. So it's hard for us to get in that mindset. But when you realize that these disciples, as they walked with Jesus, they lost Jesus. Jesus has to tell them, look, I'm coming back soon. And when I bring you back to myself, when these disciples die, they're going to live with God, which is exactly why Jesus came to earth in the first place. And then he says, he is the way. He's the truth, and he's the life. Point number two, I want you to write this down. Find comfort in Jesus, that's what he tells them to do. Find comfort in Jesus, the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that's the person that we should find our comfort in. And that's what he gets at. Believe in God, believe also in me. Sometimes people look at that and say, oh, well, believe in God, right? Well, I believe in God, but I just don't believe in Jesus. A lot of world religions say that today. Well, we believe in God We serve God, but we don't serve Jesus. Here's the problem. What does Jesus say in this passage? No one comes to the Father except through me. Even Thomas, when Thomas is like confused and Thomas doesn't know what's going on, he says, wait, we don't even know where you're going, Jesus. How can we know the way to get to where you're going? We talked about before, the way that Jesus was gonna take was his death and his betrayal. That was the way he was gonna take to be with the Father. But what is the way that any person who trusts in Jesus, what's the way that we to the Father. It's only through Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. What are some ways that maybe we, we turn aside or we think differently? We think, oh, this is not true. I think that's important. Whenever we turn to a passage where Jesus tells us something very clearly, a truth, we need to think, oh, well, how, how is this truth misunderstood? Or how do people take this truth and change it? Well, I think one of the ways that people do that is they just disregard it all and say, no, Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Right, if you ask most people that, is Jesus the only way that a person can go to heaven when they die? Most people in this world right now would say no. Hopefully, right, most of you would say yes to that. Right? That doesn't mean that you are going to heaven. That just means that you know that Jesus can take people to heaven. That's a big difference. I think another way that people take this and they don't obey it And maybe you've done this and i know that i've done this in my lifetime maybe you have too maybe you're currently doing this it's you take this and you say yeah jesus can take me to heaven but like i'm gonna like make it halfway there and then he'll like make take me the other half or like i'll try to earn god's favor and then whatever i can't earn with god then jesus can cover that part the problem is jesus says i am the only way to the father i like you have to come through me so you can work really hard to be a good person But that's not going to get you to heaven, right? It it will only really lead you to hell if you think about it. If you do anything other than trust in Jesus, you have no hope because we're sinful people. And that's a hard thing for us to get. And I know that you've heard that before, but I want you to think about that. That is such a big hill to climb, to get to God. Most people think I can be good enough to get to God, right? The, The reason people think that is because you don't understand who God is. You, if you really understood God and really understood yourself, you'd say, there's no way I could get to God. There's no way I could go to heaven. All I deserve is to go to hell. That's what a person who's got the right mindset thinks. That's why this claim that Jesus makes is huge. I, I, I couldn't make this claim to you. I couldn't say, oh, if you come through me, I can take you to God. I can't take you to God. Think about it. If your parents said, I could take you to God, they can't take you to God. If your teachers or anybody says, I can take you to God, nobody can take you to God. Because they're sinful, right? And they can't get to God themselves. There's not, they couldn't do enough good works to get to God because they're sinful. Jesus is the only way that they can take us to God. And that's his whole point here. Is I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that right there should be the biggest comfort in your entire life. Just think about it. No matter what happens, if you do trust in Jesus, no, no matter what happens, I mean, think the worst case scenario. Worst case, what, what's the worst that could happen to you? A lot of bad things could happen to you. A lot of bad things were about to happen to these disciples. And that's why he says, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Trust in me. Because remember, I can, I'm, I can get you to heaven. He says, take comfort. Take heart. Let not your hearts be troubled. That means don't be anxious is what he's saying. So for those of you who are anxious about whatever you're anxious about, whether maybe they're big problems or small problems, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Believe in God, trust him, and trust in me because I will take you to heaven. Because if you really start to, if that's like the biggest thought in your mind, if the thought of I'm going to heaven because Jesus lived and died for me is bigger than whatever you're worried about, then you're not gonna be worried about it anymore. It takes that away. That's why Jesus is making a huge claim here. He says, make that the biggest thought in your mind. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, and I'm going to the Father. I'm going I'm to live with God forever. So whatever I'm worried about, whether it's how I look or what's going on in my life or my family or my friends or the friends I don't have or whatever, if the biggest thought in your brain all the time was I'm going to heaven and Jesus is going to take me there then you can let your hearts not be troubled. That's how he says to do it. The other day, um, after Christmas, I went on a little trip. My wife and I, we went on a road trip. We went to St. George, Utah, which we'd never been there. I don't think I've ever even been to Utah. Maybe I've like flown through Salt Lake City or something. Um, But we got a deal on a hotel. We paid $37 a night, okay? That might not mean much to you, It means something to the leaders, $37 a night, that's really cheap. Pastor John, why why was, why must this place have been so cheap? Well, um, they were renovating the entire first floor, so we couldn't even go in through the normal door. Um, It was weird. It was like you got to like walk through, and and the lady like who was working the front desk, like, oh, sorry, we've got all this stuff going on. And, and we were, it was like this tiny little hotel. It was a Marriott, so it wasn't like a, like a bad place or anything. Um, it was a little sketchy, though. So 37 bucks a night, it's like you get what you pay for, right? So you go there. There was an ice machine on our floor, so that was fine. Um, but we didn't even walk through. We walked through the front door, I think, the first time. Then every time, we, like, walked through the back door and went up the stairs. Okay, that, that, was, the, that was the hotel we were living in. Um, the bed, okay. What was the bed like at this hotel? What you would expect. We had two, like two beds, which was weird. Um, one of them we watched TV on, the other one we slept on, um, which is kind of weird. Um, yeah. The the pillows were guys, guys. Pillows just not good. Okay. Um it's it's exactly it's terrible. Thank you for sympathizing with me. Um it was terrible. But the good thing was we had two beds worth of pillows, okay? So our whole like we were living on a ton of pillows there um, the sheets you know what the sheets you ever go to a, a place and the sheets are like um like really hard like like if you like move them it's like they're gonna they're gonna break you know you know what I mean like uh imagine imagine like a sailboat that's what I was thinking of, and then like the sails like what are they made out of like canvas right and like if you like move the they would maybe like crack a little bit and fibers would come off. Like That's probably similar. Maybe not. That's a little exaggeration, but that was kind of what the sheets were like. Um, we were watching like 80s TV shows. There was It was St. George, so it was like Mormon country. So there was only like a few channels. Um, and like, it was just kind of weird, guys. I'm just not going to lie. It was fun though, because we got to hang out and stuff. Whatever, it was fun. Um, but I was ready to come home, okay? The Wade's two years ago, bought us bamboo sheets from Costco. (laughs) These are awesome. It's the best sheets I've ever slept in. Um, And Susan spoiled us, okay? I'm just gonna say that. Um, She spoiled us. Because every hotel I go to, the sheets are not as good as mine at home. They're just not as good. Um, And the pillows, they just weren't as good. Um, But we only stayed there for a few nights. And you know what I was thinking on the last night? I'm going home tomorrow. I get my normal bed back tomorrow. The one that's perfect for me. It's got the right sheets on. It's got just the right pillow. It's perfect for me. I don't know if you think your bed situation at home is perfect, um, but it's a lot better than the Fairfield Inn in St. George. So I'm just going to tell you that. But even me thinking, I can get through another night. Even if we had to stay a couple more nights, I could get through that because I got a really good clean, like, because you don't know if those beds are clean. You know what I mean? Like, that was the freakiest thing for me. Um, It's like, I don't know if these beds are clean. Like my bed home, I know it's going to be clean. It's going to be just washed. It's going to be perfect. And I'm going to get in it and it's going to be hot because it will just have come out of the dryer and I'm going to be excited about that. What Jesus says here about going back to the father, he's saying, I've got the perfect, just right thing for you no matter what it feels like now. No matter what it feels like for you right now and whatever's going on. And for the disciples, it was really bad stuff that was about to happen. Jesus says, I've got a perfect place prepared for you. And it's going to be awesome. I want you to write down this verse. We're going to look at it in small groups. Revelation 21, 1 to 8. Revelation 21, 1 to 8. It talks about what this new world is going to be like. And it says that there's certain things in this new world that are unique and different. And there's things now in our world that will not be there. Things like mourning and crying. right? Crying because of the death of a loved one. That will never happen in this new world. Pain. Suffering. It's not going to happen anymore. Those, the former things will pass away. Jesus promises that this is going to happen. That's why at the end of our conversation here, right? This is really, we're only at the beginning of this conversation. Jesus is having with his disciples. In John chapter 16, I want you to write this verse down too. John 16, 31 to 33. Here's what Jesus says to the disciples at the end of this conversation before he prays and wraps up and and goes to be betrayed. He says, do you guys now believe me? This is verse 31. Verse 32 says, behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. That's what's about to happen with Jesus and his followers. He says, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. He says, and I've said these things to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you can be confident of one thing, that I am the way, I am the truth and I'm the life. And that for 100% sure, everyone who trusts in me will live with God forever. Everyone who trusts in me will be forgiven. Everyone who trusts in me will go to heaven. Every last person who trusts in me. There's going to be millions of people who don't trust in me. And they're not going to go to heaven. But there will be tons more who, who will trust me. And they will be. The disciples still didn't quite get it. And that's why verse eight, back in our passage, Philip asks, let's see God then. Can we just show us the Father? Jesus almost gets mad at him and says, you've been with me for so long and you don't understand that I've been showing you God the whole time. And all the words and all the miracles and all the actions, I've been showing God to you. You can understand so much more about God now that I've been here. Just because I and the Father, we're like, we're in each other. I and the father are one, as he says earlier in the book of John. I don't know if you ever thought about this. It's a big thought, but I want you to think about it. Um, why do you exist? Why, why do you exist? What's the purpose of, of life? Why, why are you here? Right? It's a big question, right? It's when people on TV shows and stuff ask, right? Why, what's the meaning of life, right? Think about that. But really think about it. Why, why are we here? Why did God create us? Why? Right? What was the purpose behind all of that? Think about that for a second. Okay. I think there's one big answer to that. It's basically for us to know God. That's like at the, at the core. That's why we exist. That's why God created us. Okay. How can people know God? How can people know God? Because right? God's invisible and, and, and it feels like God's far away. And even in a worse sense, guess what? We are removed from God because we have done wicked and wrong things. There's no way for a person like me or a person like you to know God. It's impossible unless, unless Jesus introduces us to God. That's it, okay? So if that's the reason and for our existence, and that's why we were made, and Jesus is the only person who can take us there, right? That brings us some comfort, but also If we think about this, Philip asks a decent question, right? We want to see God, but the problem is he doesn't understand. Jesus has been showing him God this whole time. And that's why when we look at the Bible, we can see God in all the amazing things that Jesus does, in the words that he says, because guess what? Jesus is God. Even how can we see the father, right? You might say, well, yeah, Jesus is God, but technically he's God, the son. He's not God, the father, right? How can we see God, the father? Well, Jesus says pretty clearly that he's been doing the works, the miracles, and speaking the words that God has given him. So even in that, Jesus reveals God to us to so the only way that it's possible for you or for me or for anyone to know God and to worship God is through Jesus. I want you to think for a second, uh, what could you do when it comes to knowing God without Jesus? Is it possible? Because right? you know anything about God, right? Well, you wouldn't know anything Jesus said if Jesus didn't reveal it. Right? Also, could you talk to God if Jesus didn't do what he did? Would you have any access to go to God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and to talk to him? Would you have any access? The book of Hebrews says you wouldn't have any access. Is there any way that you could live with God forever? Is there any way that you could have your sins forgiven if Jesus doesn't do that for you? The answer is you have nothing with God. I have nothing with God if Jesus doesn't give it to me. I have nothing. I can't know God. I can't worship God. I can't pray to God. I can't be forgiven by God. I can't live with God. I can't go to heaven unless Jesus does that for me, unless Jesus gives me that access. That's what he's getting at here. That's why he's upset that Philip says, just give us access to God. Jesus is like, I've been giving you access to God this whole time. If you're a Christian, hopefully you've thought about this before. Um, But even if you're not, I'd like you to write this point now. for point number three, seek to know and worship God through Jesus. Seek to know God and seek to worship God through Jesus. Because that's really what happens. If we start to know God more, we start to worship God more. That's just the connection. Because if, if you start to understand someone who's amazing, you start to think, wow, they're amazing, right? And that's worship, okay? So if you start to know God without worshiping God, you're not really knowing God. Because if you realize how amazing God is, you start to think, wow, God's amazing. And then you start telling God he's amazing, and that's called worship. Imagine you have a crush. Some of you don't have to imagine. Some of you do. Look at your crush real quick. I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, you guys looked at some really weird people, so that was odd. You you didn't look at your crushes. You look at your friends. You're like, oh! oh, that was weird. Sorry. I even caught Luke and Bates looking at each other after that. They're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, you missed the point of what I was trying to say. Anyway, um, some of you got those. Imagine there was somebody in the narrow that you just thought, man, they're really cool. Or... That's probably not what you'd think, but what uh, translate that into your brain to like, yeah, like I want to get to know that that person's awesome, um, I.E., really pretty or really handsome. Is that what you call guys? You don't call them handsome. You call them cute, right? Right? That's what my wife says. She's she never said the word handsome in her life before. It's always that's so cute, and I'm like, is that good or is that bad? I don't know. Um, Anyway, imagine, okay, you've got that crush and there's only one person that you know that actually knows that person. That's it, one person. So you have to go through that one friend. Let's say you have a mutual friend because this is always how it goes, isn't it? That's how it goes. If you want to get to know, if you're a guy and you want to get to know a girl, you know what you do, right? You talk, no, don't. You never talk to them, guys. Do you, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, but you never do that. Just be honest. That's not how it really works. You talk to their friend, don't you? And you say, does, uh, d- sorry, my microphone. Does that person like me? You guys are really antsy. It's like this has happened before. I- I've done this before. This is how it works. How do you think I got married, right? I had to talk to her friends first. Um, actually, I don't know if I did that. Whatever. I've done it before. Anyway. It's like that's the one person that can introduce it. And then, then you go through the friend and that's it. What if uh, you went to their one friend and you're like, you are never talking to that person. Don't talk to me about them again. And they just like pushed you away. You'd be like, you guys are laughing. Is this, is this happening? Is this like, is this happening in the narrow? Like I don't know about it. It's pro- it's probably happening. Do I want to know? You can tell us later if you want. This um, <laughs> has gone a little bit off the rails. The idea was like, the the idea was, If there's only one person that can give you an introduction, you better get to know that one person that can give you an introduction because that's your one ticket. That's your one way in. Jesus says, I am the one person that can introduce you to the Father, and that's it. Nobody else. You can't come through anybody. You can't go straight to that person. you got to come through me. As weird as that illustration is, it works because Jesus is the only way that you can know God. If you want a relationship with God, because that's what you're made to do, you got to go through him. One more verse that we're going to write down, and we're going to look at in small groups. John 1, 14 to 18. At the beginning of this gospel, John said that the word became flesh, and that's who Jesus is. He put on flesh. God put on flesh, and he lived among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later in that passage, it says, from his fullness of Jesus, from a relationship with him, we've received grace upon Grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, I think is the most important in this passage. It says, no one has ever seen God. Philip's question about, hey, show us the Father. John says that no one's ever seen God, but he, Jesus, has made him known. There's no one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, and he has made him known. Jesus makes that introduction. You know, you can develop a deeper relationship with God too, through Jesus but how do you do that I think that the key way is through talking to God through Jesus which is why we end most of our prayers with the phrase in Jesus name what that means is we're coming to God through Jesus talking to God through prayer and studying God too as we understand who God is if we look at the Bible and say not just the passages that describe what God is also looking at the passages of what God does and starting to understand his character through his works. Seeing that, thinking deeply about it throughout the day. That's why we want us to read the Bible every day. That's why we do the DBR, right? That's why we're making those DBR snapshots. Because we want you guys to be in the Bible and reading it every day. Another way that you can grow in your relationship with God is by talking to other Christians about God. That's why in small groups we talk about it. Also, you read books by Christians who know God better than you do who talk about God. And help us understand God better. That's a big thing too. Just gave you a list of four things. Praying, studying the Bible, talking to other Christians about God, and maybe even reading some books. Because if this is really what you were made for, right, then you could be really smart. You could be a great athlete. You could be really funny. You could be really popular. You could be really pretty. You could be a lot of things. But if this is what God made you for, was to know him, then that's the most important thing. I cannot say that about anything else. The most important thing for you to do. I can tell you things that are good. I can tell you things that are important, but there's nothing more important for you than to know God. And the only way you can do that is if you trust in Jesus, not like Peter did, where it was a superficial trust, really trusted in himself, but a real trust in Jesus that produces loyalty to Jesus through our actions. I'm going to pray for that. And we're going to talk about that in small groups. So let's talk to God right now.